Have you ever woken up on a Monday morning and thought, I'm going to climb one of the tallest buildings in the world without any safety gear? Well, our next guest's ADHD led him to some of the most dangerous places on earth, but it also helped him survive them too. So here's George King describing how being close to death is the only time he finds true peace. George, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You've climbed the tallest building in the UK without any safety gear, base jumped off Europe's tallest roller coaster, and you've stood on top of fast moving trains. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. All of these things, most people I think would probably find quite terrifying, but you're attracted to stuff like that. Why? Uh, very curious about fear. Um, I've always been very curious about fear from a young age. Um, I spent my life exploring fear. Um, I, as a kid, I was very, um, I didn't understand why other people my age weren't curious about fear themselves. I would do things like climb up trees and feel the pit in my stomach, which I now know to be adrenaline and cortisol, but being fascinated by that and pushing it to the point at which I'd jump from the top of a tree and then land, then no longer be in that fear state and get mm. a sense of euphoria. And then once I get that euphoria, I want to know more about that. How can I control the adrenaline? How can I control the fear? And um, that took me down a rabbit hole, which I'm still going down now. And uh, that took me into climbing. That took me into doing stunts. That took me into base jumping. What's your earliest memory of, of displaying behavior that, that was directed at that, that sort of activity? Um, most likely at school. Um, so I would like to climb up the school roof mm. and I would get off not on just not just on the the height of going on the school roof, but also avoiding the teachers and getting away from them. Uh, so at school I was troublesome in that way, but um, I would say that that was my sort of earliest memory with experiencing that sort of thing. When you were younger, what was the relationship like with your parents? Very good. Yeah, very good. Um, there was never, I was never on bad terms with, with them, really. Like I, I think they, under, my mother always understood me. Mm. It, there was a bit of me which she had herself. So she was able to understand me in that way. And um, similar with my father, really. Um, yeah, obviously, as I went through school and I wasn't as passionate as most people should be, um, they obviously tried to sort of draw me, put me into line in that way. But I was always on good terms with my family. How did they try and put you in, in line? Um, well, essentially, I think from their mindset, the idea was in order for you to be successful in life, you have to get really good grades and then go to university and mm. then get a good job from that. And that kind of conventional route from a very young age seemed like um, a bad option for me. Like I always had a dream of doing something a bit different. Mm. And I was very passionate about the climbing and where I could take it. And also the curiosity of fear, the feeling of fear was something which I wanted to explore further. So it was never in my mind to take that route of, you know, going, going to school doing well in school and then going to university and trying to find a job in that way. 
like I wanted to do my own my own way. Did your parents ever react or suggest that you don't do, I suppose, what they probably looked at as, as dangerous activities when you were younger? Did you ever th feel like they were concerned and, and, and sort of scared for your well-being? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, of course. I mm. mean, they did everything in their power to stop me, uh, but I was very stubborn in that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's it's just, I couldn't not do it. Mm. And I mean, we were chat chatting earlier about this, but for me, when it comes to ADHD, like the 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 frequency of thoughts, the velocity of thoughts is so intense that when I do something which there is a risk of death, where I have to concentrate absolutely into it, um, I am 100% clear in the present moment. I'm not thinking about the past or future. I am present. And that sense of clarity to not have such a scattered frequency of different thoughts and just have one single focus mm. is uh, insanely peaceful. And um, it's something which I crave a lot uh, with um, in relation to my ADHD. It's only when the lights are off and I have to go to sleep where it becomes a big problem because now it's um, sensory deprivation and mm. I've only got my mind to deal with. And when you've got, only got your mind to deal with when it's sensory deprivation, it goes even faster. So sleeping has always been the difficulty for me from a very, very young age um, where I was having, going through a lo long days without, uh, multiple days without sleeping uh, as a kid. And um, I guess my mom was a bit concerned about me and took me into psychologists, but they never sort of, ADHD never came out of it. They just, they just kind of um, presumed I was having a few troubles sleeping that maybe I should go to bed a bit earlier. Mm. Um, but it was only until I was around 14 that I got diagnosed with it. When you're lying in bed at night and, and as you said, you're sort of on your own and, and there's sensory deprivation and you're just left with your own thoughts, what, what goes through your mind at that point? Uh, dreams of the projects I want to do and then actually going so far deep into the visualization of it that I'm actually there experiencing it um, and just... I'm, I'm there, I'm mm. feeling it. And I, I get so locked into it. And um, sometimes I'd even like imagine myself on the top of a building and start crying. And I was having these these visions even when I was like uh, 13 and 14. And it, it's, um, and now I'm just, my mission is to try and satisfy the child in me, those, mm. those visions I had uh, during those long nights of um, sleepless, sleepless nights, yeah. So you were diagnosed at, was it 13? Yeah, 13 or 14. 13 or 14. Yeah, one of the two. Was there a particular sequence of events or a catalyst that made your parents put you forward for an assessment? Yeah, so it was actually um, down to my own curiosity. So like I said before, very curious about fear, but I was curious about all things. Mm. And um, I remember sitting in a biology lesson being very bored and not engaging in the lesson at all. And I think it was a double lesson at that time. So even longer. And the person to my right had ADHD and was medicated mm. at um, uh, a drug called Ritalin. So I, curious about Ritalin, decided to try it. I'd asked him for it and I tried one. And it was like I was blind and now I could see. And I was able to fully focus mm. on the teacher even though I wasn't interested in anything they were saying, but I was engaged. And I have, 
you know, now I have strong views about medication and ADHD, which we can get onto when you want to. But at that time, I found that very interesting that I was able to engage in that way. And it didn't, for me, it wasn't like, oh, now I've got ADHD. But what it gave me was the opportunity to try and learn about ADHD, mm. of which I did. So I started researching it, tried to learn more about it. And then I started to see that this could quite possibly be something which I have. So I ultimately self-diagnosed at that point. And by the time I did, I had enough information to give a convincing argument to my parents that it might be a good idea for me to get diagnosed and see a psychologist, of which they allow me to do. Mm. And then, um, yeah, the psychologist said, yep, you've got all the, <laughs> got all the symptoms. And um, yeah, and then, and then they, yeah, so I, I got diagnosed and I was got, you know, now have the label of ADHD. Mm. And then they put me on the Ritalin full time. And then that was, that was very problematic. That, that completely robbed my whole character. That was, um, that, that numbed me. And then it caused lots of different problems in other areas, such as sleep, uh, mm. which became even worse. And then also what comes with all that is, is uh, the anxiety of not having as so much sleep. And it was, yeah, so it, was, it actually um, uh, was a wreck. And um, I kind of learned based off that, that if you have to give a child medication in order for them to concentrate in school, then I think that path is wrong inherently. So I decided that, okay, well, yes, I have ADHD, but there must be ways of channeling it. And then that took me on the path of like not seeing ADHD ever again as a disorder, but actually a gift. And uh, for as long as I utilize it, it can take me to um, extraordinary places. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like it has done in lots of different ways. It's so interesting, the medication debate I've, I've spoken before on this podcast about how there's a theory that people with ADHD, if you were to go back in time, like say 3,000 years when we used to live in tribes before we all lived in, in square rooms and had to sit behind a computer and sit in a classroom, people with ADHD would probably be the hunter-gatherers, the people who would be staying up all night stoking the fire, chopping down trees and hunting for the, the farmers that would be the protectors put someone like that in 2023 in a classroom or sat behind a desk, of course, we're going to struggle. If you could go back 3000 years, can you see a, a purpose for the traits, the superpowers that you think are associated with ADHD? 100%. Yeah. And I totally agree with you. It seems like everything in our biology is made for our own survival. So that it absolutely must be adaptions. Um, and yes, I think the ability to be, for me, it's um, be meticulously detailed when I pursue projects, which I believe if I was a hunter-gatherer, that would be very useful. So in order for me to climb a building, I need to assess, assess every single variable, have them all controlled, reduce risk, and try and uh, um, make it as safe as I possibly can. Mm. So to be extremely detailed in order for me to increase the probability of survival. So if I was a hunter-gatherer, then I could imagine that I would not, I would make sure that every detail, no matter how small it may be, would be assessed in the environment so that the tribe or myself can survive, eat, and breed. So yeah, I believe so. Yeah, it would, it, it, due to, assessing details mm. 
for survival. Yes. It's so true because the modern equivalent is you climbing the tallest building in the UK amongst many others. And the consequence of getting that wrong, the, the not meticulously planning, is you falling to your death. If you went back 3,000 years before we had YouTube or before we could read a book on how lions behave, you would have to meticulously think and study the behavior of a lion in order to hunt it mm. with the minimal risk of you getting eaten, <laughs> right? So that's the, that's the sort of comparison that I would make, that meticulous planning. And you would, from afar, study the behavior of that lion so you know the exact right moment to strike, where to strike it, what tool to use to, to strike it. Absolutely. Yeah, I never actually thought about it in that way. And I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it is the same principles. I'm just lucky I have something where I can channel it. Mm. You know, I, like, I don't think um, you know, a lot of people who have ADHD sort of suffer in quiet desperation with it. And we were speaking earlier about th those in prison who have, I mean, it's just rife of it mm. throughout. I mean, they all have it pretty much um, because a lot, I think a lot of people, if it's not channeled, it's just going to, it's just going to be disastrous for mm. a lot of people. Um, but yeah, I, I'm lucky I have something where I can, I can mm. sort of channel it all. Your, your stint in prison is fascinating because you, you climbed the Shard, which is the tallest building in the UK and the Shard privately prosecuted you, I believe, and you ended up going to, to, to prison for a short period of time. H how did you find that process, going to prison? Well, at the time it was, so I'd done the shard and it actually took three months for me to get sentenced and put into prison. Mm. During that time of three months, I didn't have a goal because I'd already done the shard. So now it was like almost like a process, uh, an anticlimactic process where I don't have something i'm chasing now mm. so in, in the repercussion of that was i kind of went off the rails for a bit and just sort of did did my own thing but i didn't have uh, i was a bit lost in in my journey so prison was actually a, a savior in the sense that it was a new challenge a new experience a new adventure so i embraced that um a lot uh but i would say with the reference to adhd i was um the idea of being constantly aware in that mm. environment was very helpful. Like I picked up on a lot of everything I can as, as much as possible and made notes of it so that I can avoid certain situations from happening or potentially diffuse certain situations. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, I don't think for anyone, let alone someone with ADHD, being locked in a room with four walls, 22 to 24 hours a day is, mm. is yeah, it's going to send you a little bit insane. Yeah. <laughs> when you got that diagnosis, was there an acceptance within your family when they heard that you had ADHD? For sure. It kind of, it, it answered a few questions, put it that way. It was like, okay, like, well, that's what it all is mm. sort of thing. They kind of, they resonated with it and it, it made sense to them. And I think they were quite happy actually to have like a, a sort of explanation to mm. it, so to speak. Um, yeah, it was just at that time, it was the medication, which I didn't like. I didn't, I didn't like the way that the first response to something like that was for teachers and doctors to think, okay, medication. 
Like I really didn't like that. Um, but at the time I did because it made me focus on school. Mm. But but once I'd gone through all the negative impacts of that, and then I started to see ADHD as a means to actually channeling it and using it, then it then it became a whole different thing. And I was actually very happy that I got the that I that I born mm. with ADHD. This, I think there's still a lot of stigma around ADHD and a lot of people hear it and, and it's an automatic association with negativity. Like, oh, you're going to be a liability or you're going to be a problem child. You're going to be a nuisance. Like, if, if someone like that asked you to describe what living with ADHD was like for you, how would you describe living with ADHD? It's chaotic um, in the sense that there is a lack of peace ever. Um, the the only time I have peace is when my life is in my fingertips because I have to focus, otherwise I'll die. Mm. So that's the only real time I have peace. And it makes total sense to me that there is a correlation between uh, ADHD people and those who drink and take drugs to excess because it's the same sort of thing as just just having that peace for that moment in time. Um, so yeah, having um, ADHD is... Um, is chaotic and is a lack of peace but the flip side to that is the 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 chaos if you were to embrace the chaos and use the chaos then um it's essentially a superpower you know you can get a lot of a lot of things done mm. like the product productivity can be very high um so in that case i'm glad i have it although it can um can be very intense yeah i've heard so many stories of people high achievers literally in your case with ADHD and when that thing that they excel at is taken away and that thing that gives them that peace is is withheld from them they often go to unhealthy sources mm. of dopamine like you said alcohol drugs sugar whatever it is mm. um have you ever been drawn to unhealthy sources of dopamine like that yeah, I mean, I've experimented, experimented with alcohol and drugs and like it's not never never been a problem in the sense that I've become addicted or it's swayed me away from the the goal. It's just when I do it, I take it to excess. And I take it to the extreme like I do with everything I do in my life. Like I'm either zero or 100 with mm. anything and everything. Um, so if there, if a certain relationship is not of interest to me, I'll cut it off. If a relationship is interested to me, I'll go 100%. And um, yeah, that's the same with everything. Uh, but yeah, with with unhealthy sources of dopamine, um, it's never been a problem. It's just always been something which if I were to do, it, yeah, it would be to the extreme. I think there's so many positives to ADHD and they're often overlooked and not spoken about enough. And I would assume in your case, the meticulous planning in doing the types of projects that you do is essential, especially when the outcome of, of, of failure is so is death, right? Mm. Um, do you associate ADHD with helping you achieve the amazing things that you've done? What, yeah, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Because I feel as though... I mean, it's hard to say if, if, I mean, to really, if to isolate ADHD as being the absolute reason, but it's got to go, it's got to be a, a, a massive part of it because it's, 
it's also the obsessive part mm. of it. It's like um, the 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 obsession is the spine of it, and I think ADHD is the driving force. So um, yeah, it definitely has allowed me to do the things I do. Um, in terms of the way I prepare for a project, I think the ADHD is the sort of thing which allows me to make sure no stone is unturned and to assess every single detail uh, obsessively and to get very annoyed if not every detail is assessed. Mm. Like it will bother me massively. If, a, if, I've, if I've assessed stuff and there's something which has not been evaluated, it would really, really bother me. So yeah, that kind of thing, the, the, the desire to seek perfection in preparation in order to give me the comfort is uh, uh, and the link to ADHD with that is um, yeah definitely explains that ADHD would would be a big factor in um, in in achieving the things I do for sure. I think the the traits that come to mind you know the attention the attention to detail the the meticulous planning that I like you said you're not leaving any stone stone unturned and the obvious one I mean the hyper focus being able to look at a, a building like the Shard and calculate the i guess safest way up but also the, the stuff that goes before that right about the you were there in the mornings almost like doing surveillance was there a process that you took in order to remain undetected by the security yeah so i'd adopt different disguises to avoid pattern recognition from the security based off the idea that if i were to turn up with the same clothes every single day then they would recognize that someone is, <laughs> yeah. you know, just uh, they recognize that someone mm. is doing something suspicious and then potentially put a restraining order on me. So mm. for me, I'd switch up the disguise from businessman wearing a suit to wearing normal clothes to sports gear mm. and on a jog and turning up sort of red in the face. So like I always had to switch up my identity, uh, mainly to avoid pattern recognition. Like mm. I, my big fear at that time was pattern recognition from the security so that they could know who I was and then put a restraining order on me or raise any alarm bells. Mm. Yeah. I ask all my guests to, to ask, tell me the item that most represents ADHD for them, but I think yours is quite, quite obvious. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's, so we, we got you a little bottle of the shard. Mm. But the night before you do big climbs like yeah. this, mm. what's going through your head the night before? Um, so you experience all extremes of life mm. um you absolutely contemplate your existence on earth because although the probability of death is low mm. there is still that chance of death so you must in that case accept death um so you know you um i think about the fact that this could you know that could be my last night on earth so I have to come accustomed to that. And essentially by accepting that, when I do it, there's nothing, I don't have to think about it. It's, it's put away. So I know I have to, no, uh, no longer have to think of, of, of death. So I have to come to terms with death the night before, for sure. Uh, and that allows me to have the clarity whilst doing it, not to contemplate death mm. whilst doing it. Um, so yeah, it can be very terrifying and very stressful. And then once you once the 
project is complete and at the top or you survived or whatever and you're safe then you essentially feel reborn again mm. do you fear death um yes absolutely fear death um because i love life so much i enjoy every bit of it um but i i fear not living life to it, my maximum potential and I fear a life of regret. Mm. So if I have a dream or an idea, I must bring that to fruition. And if I haven't made a plan or attempted it, then I will 100% regret it later on in life. So I fear regret more than anything. Um, so that pushes me, allows me to lean into the risk of death. I'm just thinking for most people, I'm sure, certainly for me, that fear of death would be enough to stop me from doing something like climbing the shard. But is it, do you think it's because you don't want to live that life of regret that overpowers that instinctual override? Or do you think that your fear of death is less than your desire to not regret i think also the feeling is a very important part of it as well because when there is risk of death mm. and you're on that razor edge of life between death once you come through it it the feeling is i mean i couldn't describe the feeling with words uh but it, yeah it would be like describing a color to a blind person it's it's it would be it's extremely it's impossible to describe it but that feeling of overcoming it is part of the reason i do it mm. have you ever been close to death has, has there ever been a moment where your foot slipped or your hand you thought the grip was better than it was and you've had a moment um well, I, I think the base jumping, so jumping off static objects with a parachute, I think the base jumping is essentially the act of committing suicide and saving your life in the process. <laughs> so that for me, every jump I do feels very close to death because I'm there on the edge and I'm jumping off and I'm seeing the ground come up to me and then, and then I survive. It's like, mm. it's, um, yeah, so for me, that's, that's that feels like the closest um but with with the with the climbing um there are moments but it it just feels like there's i always have the control with the climbing for whatever reason i feel the control i feel like if i i, I feel like i won't ever know about it if i don't i.e i'd fall mm. if if um if i lose control it's it's interesting uh, it's i don't go into the climbs with the idea of it's going to go out of control. I, I always go in with it that the I, that I'm going to be in control from the start to the finish. Um, but the whole base jumping thing is a different kettle of fish in the sense that it's such a counterintuitive thing to do to stand on the edge of something and jump off. So in that sense, there's um, yeah, it's death is right in your face. When you're stood on the end of a wind turbine about to jump off, in that moment, is, is, is there any fear? Pure peace. It's the most peaceful thing I could ever describe. It's just clear, absolute clarity. There is no thoughts. It's just 
the the visual what you're seeing and what you're hearing senses it's just your senses there's no internal chatter mm. and that you know the adhd chatter is what what drives me insane and um like it and for yeah like i said before the extreme activities i do is is to, a lot of it is just to quieten that chatter in my brain um and yeah and when you're on the exit point or about to do a jump or during the climb or beforehand it's like all that goes away and that's that's what's so special for me in that sense is that i get i get a moment of peace mm. what's is it are you happier just as you're about to jump off when you have that peace or after you've landed or reached the top of the shard is it is it a different type of peace it's a different type of peace like the peace of um engaging in the activity is is almost like a it's a it's a piece but it's it's um it's like a high octane it's a piece it's like a it's, it's stimulating in the sense that everything you appearing in your senses is stimulated but there is there's no voice in the head mm. so there's no voice there's peace in the sense that it's quiet in the head but the whole environment is stimulating to the eyes and the ears and all the senses. Um, and the piece of coming away from it, either landing or reaching the top or whatever, that's, um, that's almost like, it's almost like this clarity where, uh, nothing in the world matters. You are, there's, there's no problems. Problems cease to exist. Mm. You're you're completely clear. Everything which has happened in your life is makes sense, and uh, you're uh, you're resurrected, and this uh, you're sort of in this state of euphoria, and um, that will last for I don't know a day, and then it goes away, mm. and then you have to do it again. So it's like a, <laughs> it's a cycle. Yeah, it's so interesting that it takes away the chatter and it gives you that peace. If if you weren't allowed, or if something happened that stopped you, say you had an injury and you went and you couldn't climb again, and so essentially your antidote to the chatter was was taken away. Mm. What do you think would be your antidote to the chatter then? Yeah, it's a difficult one. Like I've always imagined that. What if I ended up on a wheel in a wheelchair? I guess I'd just have to find a way. Um, like I'd I'd find means to. It's interesting because like I can get engaged into ideas external from extreme activity. So like if there is, for example, writing, like when I write, if I'm in the flow with writing, then I kind of, I can get, an, not, not, this, not to the same extent as climbing a building, but I can get a similar extent by being in the flow, writing something about an experience. Mm. So let's say my ability to execute extreme activities were to be taken away, I'd have to find a replacement. I'd have to. Um, otherwise, I'd, I'd, go, uh, I'd go psychotic for sure mm. if, I w if everything was taken away. Yeah. I only ask, because for me, it's super interesting because the thing that takes away my chatter is, is social media content creation and my past company, it got taken away and I turned to alcohol instantly and ended up in hospital i'd never ever 
really drunk problematically. As soon as my antidote for the chatter was taken away, I drank to excess. Um, so it's always a super interesting question to ask other people if their antidote was taken away, what, what, what they would turn to. If, if you weren't, if, if you could imagine a life where you were without ADHD and perhaps you were wired slightly differently, can you imagine what, what other path you might have gone down? I couldn't imagine it because I think ADHD is such a part of me that it that it just simply is me. Mm. Like if you were to take ADHD away from me, uh, it wouldn't be me altogether. So it's almost impossible for me to even answer that question. Mm. It's just a, such a part of me. It is me. It's just my whole makeup is that, mm. is everything which comes with the idea of being obsessive and the idea of being zero to 100 on only a small amount of things and the way that I process um, information. Yeah. Do you have, I don't know how to ask this in a, in a polite way because I, do you have many friends? It's interesting. My circle of friends used to be much bigger, but as I've got older, it seems like it's, I've cut them down mm. uh, kind of for the reason that, for the reason I just explained mm. is it's like, um, if I'm not, if, if they're not involved in a certain thing, which I'm doing, mm. then it's like suddenly like, as much as I love them and they're special to be people to me, it's like, it's hard for me to just be 100% in them when there's a hundred million things to do. So it, interestingly, the older I've got, my circle of friends has got smaller. Yeah. The only reason I ask is because people I've spoken to before who like you have something that is all consuming and mm. it's what their life is, right? Um, they find that maintaining friendships is it's just a distraction from that and takes them away from what they the antidote to the chatter and actually anything that takes you away from the antidote because that's so powerful and so so lustful for us mm. um is, is sometimes just actually it doesn't give us anything so we, we we don't give it time and friendships drop off and i was wondering if that was something you related to um absolutely is what i would say is like the relationships with um past friends is absolutely beneficial and beautiful whilst I'm there, but does it exceed that of the antidote of being involved in extreme activity, climbing, mm. jumping, whatever? Uh, it, it, it doesn't exceed it. So it's like, yes, I totally agree with you. And mm. it's very relatable to me. That does not say uh, to me that the people who uh, like the big circle of friends, which I used to have were to that they're bad people in itself. Mm. It's not like I never lost terms, uh, sort of gone on to bad terms. It's just the extreme activity, the the medicine of my of what keeps me stable, mentally mm. still, is is too important for me to just just uh, focus any other time on it. But that, so um, yeah, it's um, it's definitely. What I do in my life is very absorbed by that. Yeah. Mm. There's an interesting concept called object permanence. And it seems to be prevalent within people with ADHD. And in simple terms, it means if something's out of sight, it's out of mind. And if something's not directly associated with, let's stick on this analogy of it being the antidote, i.e. a friend, 
if they're not right in front of you, if they're not in your now, then you kind of forget they exist. And because of that, it's quite hard to maintain the friendship. Yeah, well, I mean, life, life is, um, if you're going on a path towards some, a certain goal, that pathway, the, the uh, and I'm sure you can imagine it's the same with building a company, it's like that pathway is very stimulating mm. of, of achieving all the small goals leading up to the big, big, uh, big goal. And the stimulation from that distracts you from, yeah, from family, friends, everything in, in life. Um, like I, I've been so, so wrapped up in the flow of things that like, it, it seems like the only thing which exists is this one thing. Mm. And I, it gets to the point, if it's an important project, it gets to the point where I can have a conversation with someone. And if the conversation is not surrounding the project, then I, I can't even absorb what they're saying mm. because it's just like everything I do has to be involved with the progression towards that one thing. And um, yeah, so like I often find myself just like, if it's not involved with it, I can't even process it. It mm. just, I don't even absorb it. I'm getting better at that now as I've, as right now, well, I'm not currently going towards a big project. I'm just sort of um, coasting with where I'm at. Uh, but soon as I, soon as some big project comes along, mm. like the, any, any interactions with people other than, uh, which aren't involved in that thing, mm. I won't be able to process. No. Out of all of the, climbs jumps that you've done which one gave you the most peace it's a really good question um and clearly nothing's not one of them springs off the top of my head immediately um but something will um yeah so it was um something about i did a building to building base jump uh in berlin and there was something about that which gave me the most peace because for one every part of it was visualized to perfection mm. it, it, it was executed to perfection Every, everything i visualized it worked perfectly but i remember when i was a child i watched a Johnny uh, Johnny English film where they uh, Johnny English yes. or one of them jumped out the plane. Yeah, I know it well. Yeah, and he, he landed <laughs> on one of the buildings. So that planted a seed as a kid. This idea of being under a parachute and landing on a building. So for me to go and do that stunt where I jumped from a building, I was under parachute, I landed on another building. That like gave me so much peace because now that idea I had as a child was now ticked off. Mm. Uh, and I haven't haven't had like any other project where the seed was planted that early on. So yeah, the building to building base jump in Berlin was absolutely gave me the most peace. And I was riding a high from that for, for months upon end. Yeah. When you see other people, and I suppose it's probably a very small group of people who do similar stuff to what you do, mm. do stuff like, I can't remember the name, Felix. Balgartner. Yeah. yeah. They jump from space. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you sort of get peace envy? Is that something you would? Yeah, well, I, I get um, it's more of an ego thing than anything. Yeah, yeah. So it's less about the peace of it and the feeling. Like it's like, well, I, I, I like the idea of competition. So I, I don't 
I, I will never be a naysayer to anyone doing anything because I understand what the process of mm. what it takes to do something like that. So I'll never be a na- I'll never be negative to someone who, who's going out there and doing it. But if I see it, I think, well, could I do better? Could I do the same sort of thing? It asks those questions. So if anything, it motivates me. Like competition, the idea of people doing the things I do mm. and pushing it further than me or whatever, that's very exciting, uh, very stimulating to me because it's the idea... I, I get it in my head that it's it's competition and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's more of an ego thing than it is like a desire for um, me to experience the sort of hedonistic sort of feelings they're feeling at that time. Mm. Do your parents, um, are they aware of, of when you're about to do a climb, a jump? Do they know that it's happening? Yeah, so I'll tell my mom always afterwards, never before, <laughs> <laughs> for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Probably helps them sleep at night. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly that. Is there room for romance in your life? Yeah, I mean, fortunately, whilst I've been in Korea, so I climbed the tallest building in Korea. And um, in the process, I got arrested and went to jail for three days. And then I was... I had to pay a, a fine and I had a travel ban, but I was free to go after one month. And just spontaneously, I met, for now, the love of my life on the street. And I spent six months in Korea with her and then just working out, she's going to come to UK and on my road. So yeah, it's room for it. But the only reason there's room for it is that she, I, she's into risks as well. Mm. So I got her climbing up the cranes in Korea. I got her sleeping on the mountain. I got her doing all the sort of stuff that I do. So all my past relationships have never worked like that. They've just been, it's been a separate thing, which I've had to engage in what I do and then go back to and then engage what I would do and it never worked. So I was in a process where I was like, okay, well, seems like being solo is the only thing which works for now. Mm. And then spontaneously, I met this um, uh, this woman in Korea where suddenly I realized, ah, okay, this, like my life can coexist with her because she's she likes risks as well. And she can, she finds the enjoyment in that. So I can do, I can do it together. So, um, so yeah, it works. It works. I never thought it would, but it works. Yeah. How did you guys meet? I saw her on the street and I just felt compelled to speak to her. And that was it. And what are the uh, chances of her? I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's it's crazy. <laughs> it's like yeah. some niche dating app for, yeah. <laughs> for tall jump building climbers. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I I, I can't. Um, I it was, yeah, very very spontaneous. It's um kind of bizarre. Like I, I wouldn't consider myself like a highly spiritual person in that sense, but there was um, it's almost like it. The moment was attracted in that way. Mm. It's um, it's very bizarre. It's very bizarre. Like, what are the chances? Uh, but yeah, the, the chance did happen and it, it's, it's working in that way, but yeah, very, very, um, very strange that it happened mm. that way. And it wasn't like I was involved in a community where this person was surrounded by. So therefore I know that the probability is higher that mm. I meet someone who was similar. It was just very randomly on the street. Then I suppose when she's doing stuff like that, do you, do you worry about her? Um, yeah, so when I was cl- climbing up the cranes with her, I was very cautious. I was actually more focused on her than myself mm. so that I was making sure that she was safe. But um, yeah, I, she, she does know her limits. She, it, it was very clear to me that she wasn't trying to push like the limit for the sake of pushing the limit. She, mm. she knew where she was at. 
but yeah, absolutely the same idea. And I believe she has ADHD as well for mm. that reason. Like she, she clearly needs, needs a bit of peace of mind through doing these sort of things. Yeah. Um, so the, there's, um, I saw my soul in her for that reason. Mm. ADHD and relationships is such a big topic and away from all the climbing, do you, do you see ADHD and perhaps causing spontaneity? Do you sometimes get frustrated where you might think the other person's not listening? Can you see it showing up in good and bad ways in, in your romantic life? Yes, I can. I can see that, that there's this idea that um, which people say opposites attract, but I kind of, I kind of disagree with that because I think like, like in order for, I mean, there's probably is some reasonings behind it. I'm not too sure, but my idea is like, if someone's extroverted and someone's introverted, well, they therefore have a different uh, interests. But let's say you got someone who is ADHD and someone who else is on AD, who's got the ADHD as well. I think, I think that's a very strong connecting force because you both can resonate on this uh, on being spontaneous mm. both can resonate in quieting the peace uh, finding uh stimulus which could stimuli which could give you peace of mind due to the you know the o overriding energy mm. um it feels like a strong connecting force in my opinion i i feel if i as someone who's got adhd and I had someone who didn't have ADHD, I think I'd annoy them with the way that I live my life. Mm. But it feels as though that with my current situation where I have someone who is not diagnosed with ADHD, but I see the symptoms, um, I can infer that that um, she can understand the way I am, mm. which is incredibly useful. Yeah. One of, the, one of the most common aspects of ADHD, which is, a, a an issue and i just want to ask if, if it's something you relate to is when you don't like it when someone criticizes you or perhaps disagrees with you or, or thinks that your idea is not good and, and it's just sparked my interest when you said you're both into the same thing do you ever have disagreements on a particular way to approach a climb or a jump um with her or um no not not really um in the sense that um um well the only, the, yeah, the only difference is there's there's a cultural thing. So she's Korean, so mm. I'm British. So there's like the only disagreements would be like I I find that some of the headstrong traditional Korean certain things are like I, yeah, I, I guess there's like there's um I I would only sort of question and debate the certain aspects of the Korean culture and the way that people behave mm. rather than anything personal. Uh, in my experience, yeah. Do you think kids are on the cards one day? Maybe, maybe, yeah, yeah. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I think I, I, the idea of the idea of teaching someone mm. um, everything I've learned in life is very attractive. The idea of having a child where I can develop and sort of have a blank state and develop and see it grow and maybe like that seems quite exciting also have like a, a legacy in that sense is exciting i don't know i'm 24 so i don't know mm. like i was still young in that sense but i wouldn't want to put it this way i wouldn't want to get to the end of my life and have the regret of not, not having a child mm. so probably yes if, if you had a child and they and they went down a similar adventurous 
path and was were climbing tall buildings and jumping off tall roller coasters, would, would you worry? Yeah, yeah, I would worry. Um, but the way I deal with that is that I'd I'd educate them mm. and I'd try and make it as safe as possible for them, and I'd probably do it with them uh, so that I can make sure that they've got enough. Because what whatever it is someone has inside of them to do the sort of things that I do, you can't take it away from them. And this is something which my my mom and dad had to deal with is the fact that they try to stop me, but they realize that they can't really stop me because it's inside of me. So in that case, my parents thought, okay, well, we'll have to support him, but in the healthy way. So like, mm. we, you know, we'd encourage the idea of doing writing a book or doing the TV presenting or stuff, you know, to sort of capitalize on it and make it a, a thing in that sense. Um, so my approach would be, okay, I, I, will, I will go along with you and mm. I'll teach you the best way to do it. Here's a risk. Let's evaluate it together. How would you evaluate it? You know, I'd, I'd, I'd develop in that way. Um, but yeah, it, it's always going to make a sort of father or mother feel concerned for their child if they're doing stuff which is risking their life. It's so true because you can't, if, if something is inside the person, like the passion is so strong, like for fire, like it clearly is with you. Um, you either have to put some restrictions around them, which never ends well, medicate them to try and sedate it a bit, which you, everyone has different views on, or you have to just let them do what they want to do mm. and ask them not to tell you when they're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess that's the that's the way it's got to be. But amazing yeah. things happen. Amazing things happen when you let people like yourself do and lean into it mm. rather than try and put a cage around it. 100%, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it should be. I mean, I feel intuition and feeling is the guiding force to life. Like if you feel that there's a, a feeling towards a certain passion, mm. a certain idea, you have to lean into it. It's your absolutely your duty on earth to lean into it because, because there, there's a reason for that feeling, and um, and yeah, I, I would never want to restrict someone from that for sure. How's your mental health today? Today, really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Today, my mental health is good, but I've gone through periods where I would say I've based or just based off certain factors, I've gone borderline borderline psychotic in my mind and linked to the ADHD, of course, because I, for whatever reason, just things are not working. Mm. And, uh, but I'm really good now. Best I've ever been in my entire life because I've come away from this trip and I've had a lot of clarity with mm. a lot of things. Uh, but if you asked me this question at this, this time last year, that was the worst it's ever been. So it'd be a completely different answer. Mm. Uh, um, so um, yeah, it's, uh, I used to think I had, bipolar but really i think it's just adhd which um sometimes in life where i'm not you know sometimes it can get pretty intense and mm. i deal with it uh but there's always a way yeah yeah i mean it's so common with adhd the the lows can be low but the highs mm. can be super super high mm. again literally <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i normally ask my guests when they're at their happiest but i think you've, you've answered that previously when you're at peace Mm. Is that is that correct? When you're on a climb yeah yeah I would say it's when I'm most happy for sure. It's um, 
it's yeah on the 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 edge of my comfort zone is mm. when i'm most most uh most happy um or, or or just over or the moment the moment a dream a plan is worked mm. like the, like the idea of a dream becoming a reality and that initial tick is the happiest i will i feeling that's the, the that's where i am most happy mm. when i've when i've actually worked i've had an idea and then i've worked towards it and then it's come to life as i visioned it and it's it, that that the sense of uh of clarity and euphoria attached to that is absolutely the most happy i i am in life i suppose if i if i in that case if i were to flip the question and ask when were you at your unhappiest would that be after one of the events that gives you that that happy feeling of almost like a come down um i mean no and yeah the come down is real there's for sure like the the anti-climax thing of not having a, a project to be going towards is definitely a, a negative feeling but then i was create projects to make sure that I stay stable. But interestingly, when I've, it's, lot, it's when I have lots of unresolved things in my life. And it's not just with the projects, it's just unresolved. And it could be, it could be just like everything from conversations, things which haven't had closure. So, in, and, and it spans with lots of different things. And it's, and, uh, that's when it that's when think that's when i can really spin out is when there's there's lots of unresolved ideas there's lots of unresolved projects unresolved relationships unresolved like uh issues going on yeah mm -hmm. that's that's when things um can spin out and then when obviously when the sleep comes in with it then it's then it's um then you know i the, the, when when i'm in that, those states when i do try to sleep mm -hmm. then obviously i won't sleep because it's going even faster um, and in those states, I can absolutely understand why why someone would turn to drugs or alcohol uh, as a means to cope in those situations. Do you think you get overwhelmed sometimes in situations like that where you've got lots of things that aren't resolved? Yeah, it's it's overwhelming, but I always contain it. And when I when I have the overwhelming energy and it's contained, then it turns to something else. So I believe that energy, well, energy cannot be created or, or destroyed. It can only be transformed. Mm. So when I have the overwhelming chaotic energy and I contain it, it can, um, it stimulate me like highly, it, like it turns me highly tuned and hyper, hyper, um, uh, hyper aware, like hyper, a, a zoned in if it's tuned in mm. but when it's not tuned in it's it's very erratic and very overwhelming mm. uh but if it's contained it can be uh it can stimulate me mm. just finally george normally i do this in the middle but let's do it <laughs> right at the end it's the washing machine of woes so i need to trademark um right every week i ask my instagram community for a woe mm. an adhd frustration and i read it out to see if there's any relatability do you leave your clothes in the washing machine some sometimes <laughs> it happens yeah yeah <laughs> this week's washing machine of woe is 
be interesting to hear what you say to this. Slow walking people are the most annoying thing ever. 100% agree. I, I, I mean, on the underground, in the streets, it's like, I, especially when I'm listening to music, I walk so fast mm. and I try and, I do that because my pace of thoughts is going so fast, but I pace around uh, the underground, sometimes run. And like, if I have a blockage of slow walkers, then that really annoys me. Yeah, because it just completely castrates my momentum. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, true. It's, it's almost like a mini interruption to a focus if you're in like a supermarket and you're, you're like, you're hyper-focused on a particular thing and mm. someone's blocking the aisle <laughs> and it's like that interruption to that focus can cause rage. Yes, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. It's fascinating. What's the, what's the plans for the future? Well, um, is, so in Korea, the idea was to climb a super tall building, uh, which was the sixth tallest building in the world called Lotte Tower, and then jump from it at the top. <laughs> Casual. Yeah. <that's> easy. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I, I actually failed in doing so because I was trapped in the middle uh, by a cradle machine, which didn't enable me to finish the project. So the idea really is to find a very tall building over 400 meters or 500 meters and climb to the top and jump off. So. I don't have a particular building in mind, but the concept is there. And um, I also want to, uh, external from the extreme activity, I'm very keen by the end of 2024 to get a book out. I, I really love writing and I, I just feel there's uh, writing is, it, it gives me peace to know that something, my, some, my experience has been documented. Mm. So try to get a book out at the end of 2024 and also try to do, uh, try my hand at public speaking as well. Mm. Sounds like a good plan. I imagine there's so much more nuance and detail in all of your climbs and all of your jumps that would make a fascinating book and and a, and a great, great talk on stage. George. I've, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you so much. No, thank you so much yeah. for your time. Thank I appreciate you. it. Thank you. Yeah, cheers.